You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, this is the projectionist Hasmicha, and uh, this is the second part of our conversation. Uh, Yitzchok Kolkowski, myself, and Thomas Shavilla. And in this part of the program, we're going to be talking, you'll hear us, talking about um, not only Batman and the Green Hornet and why the Green Hornet did not make it as long as Batman did, but from there we actually get into a whole range of discussion about uh, which programs, again, suffered. Um, we are talking about colorization of films, um, and there's a discussion about Dick Van Dyke, Eve Arden, and some of the other persons who were great in, in some programs in television weren't able necessarily to ever be brought back and were stuck in a certain sense uh, in a certain role. Um, I think the it's a little more serious than part one in some ways, but still a lot of good fun. So here's part two. I hope you enjoy it. Now, the superhero shows. Yeah. Uh, now, there is a show, there were two shows that I knew, even as a five-year-old, were clones of each other. <laughs> one was on CBS, and the other was on NBC. And, and one was at 6.30, or one was at, I guess, time, prime time, I think, started um, at 7. seven. One was at 7 to 7.30, and one was 7.30 to 8. And the shows were... And I can sing their theme songs because I still remember them. One was I'd be called... very disappointed if you couldn't. Okay, so I'm going to sing a little bit of them. One was um, Captain Nice, mm-hmm. which had um, um, uh, uh, the, the actor from St. Elsewhere, you know what I'm talking about, William Daniels. William yes. Daniels. And the other was called Mr. Terrific. Yes. Right? Um, he takes that certain power pill, right? And then, right? right? Or... That's no nut, son. That's Captain Nice, right? The kid says, who is that nut who's running around in pajamas? No, that's no nut, son. That's Captain Nice. Now, those shows, Mr. T- Mr. Terrific and Captain Nice, was that mm-hmm. that year too, 66, 67? Yeah. Uh, they, oh. they both debuted uh, in January of 67. To sort of... Uh, so sort of replacements. They sort of to rep- they sort of to re- they figured they would jump on the Batman bandwagon. Yes, uh, and so both were mid-season replacements. Uh, both uh, again uh, aired a station off from one another and a time slot off. I remember because I remember I would turn because I, I was able to turn the television. Oh, I can watch I can watch Mister Terrific and then Captain Nice, Mister Terrific on CBS. And Captain Nice on a on NBC. Yes. So so that yeah. So they were a dial turn away and a um, yeah and, and a time slot away. And both their fates were uh, pretty much the same. I actually have them as the same uh, chapter or the same sub chapter, I guess, because they're so linked. Uh, even though they're different shows, different networks, uh, they came on at the same. They came on the same day. They were canceled around the same time. The last show aired when it was the same day. Right. Um, you know, and what do you think? Said, what do you think that well, indicates that 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 people, when I talk to people about the show, 
people will misremember the titles. So they'll say, oh, it was Mr. Nice. No, no. <laughs> it happened terrific. Like, you know, and, uh, oh, no, no, no. You have it, you have it, you have it the opposite way. Right. And so, so the, these two shows were just so linked. Uh, it was right. incredible that, right. that you, right. you know, they just suffered the same fate they had. Right. And so their, I'll tell you the episodes scored really high. The first couple episodes, um, you know, scored really high. And, and, and although the reviews uh, oftentimes were linked as well. So both when both shows were reviewed by critics, they were connected. They were like, okay, hey, you know, we like Captain Terrific. We like Mr. Terrific. Um, but Captain Nice is a little better, you know. So right. they were linked in, in reviews. Let me just, for the people who don't know what we're talking about, the, both of these shows had the, the idea that you have sort of like a, a bozo, schlepper, a jlub <laughs> who becomes a superhero. That was basically the idea of, of both of them, right? That, you know, and, and therefore the comedy is the difference between the Clark Kent sort of uh, person and the super person. And the super person, right, you know, has, is, is um, you know, and therefore, how is he going to deal with his powers? But it was, it was clearly meant to be played as broad comedy. Like, what will happen? Yeah, both, were, both were absolutely common. Right. And, and the reason why I think, you know, Batman, which Batman lasted four seasons or five seasons? Three. Only three seasons. Wow. Only three seasons. Yeah. So uh, they, they, they're always the rumor was that hope that another network was going to pick it up at some point, but so, uh, that just never happened. So Batman w- did not suffer that fate, although it was played for comedy, was because it had a provenance. It had yep. the comic book. It also had ready characters that people knew enough from the comics. In fact, the original, you know, um, unlike Captain Nice and Mr. Turner, which I don't think had animation in the beginning, Batman started with the comic book, right? In mm-hmm. other words, you'd actually have a comic book coming to life. Um, and, and I think because of that, uh, they were able to, to capture a kitsch and a, a campiness uh, that they were able to sustain. They had uh, they had a rogues gallery to draw on, mm-hmm. and, they, and they also I think, you know I think people realized like people like Cesar Romero, Wally Cox, Burgess Meredith, and others they realized this was a place for them to ham it up. And yeah. and, and, and whereas who wants to go on with William Daniels as you know <laughs> you know you know as as Mr. Nice you know as you made you made me say it as Captain Nice I mean it didn't I, there was nothing there was nothing really to draw on other right, than yeah, it was there was yeah, you're right there there's not providence with that you're you're, you're it, I think you're absolutely right with that you know um, it's, a, it's a one trick pony and, yeah. and 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 part of it was you know if, I I have to tell you as a comic book reader Many uh, people who love comic books felt that the that the program destroyed the comic, because the comic, as you know, which became extremely dark, as you know from the Dark Knight and yeah. other iterations, the comic, although the fifties had a lot of um, sort of uh, science fiction parts to the to the comic, the sixties they really changed the comic. They even introduced Batgirl because they were going to introduce Batgirl in the program. So the the, com, the the this program in its three years had a very strong effect on the comic book and the, right. the people that were buying it. Um, they expected the Joker to be more like the Cesar Romero figure, which was like the crown prince of crime, right? As opposed to 
you know, the Joker as he later became, which is, of course, right. uh, a, a serious uh, a psychopathic killer, um, which is what happened later. So again, Batman, I guess, uh, didn't really have it. Now, there was one uh, superhero. It wasn't as successful as Batman, but I think did it last two seasons or did it only last no, one season? No, Green Hornet only lasted one. Is that so? Right. Yes. Uh, only last one season. Same producer, uh, William Dozer. And one of the problems with the Green Hornet was, uh, well, again, it was the same producer who said, well, you know, we really need to do something different than Batman. Uh, We're going to play this one completely straight, uh, and uh, we're going to make it a, um, almost a, 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 a crime more of a crime show, a, a procedural type right. show. And, and part of it was, was because, of course, the Green Hornet, although there might have been a comic book iteration of it, was basically a radio program, right? right? Yes. The, and it was a comic, um, but it was after the radio show. Right. So it was really and, more, more of a radio program. Yes. Than it was, right. And, uh, but it was uh, created by um, a gentleman, uh, uh, Trendell. Uh, George Trendell, who also created the Lone Ranger mm-hmm. and Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. <laughs> We're bringing us full circle now. Yeah. So, so right. he created both those, those things. And he had, you know, a really great track record of stuff in the 50s. So Lone Ranger, you know, anything he put the, the with any, anything that he put the, the, uh, but, Lone Ranger game on its soul. But what is the Green Horn? He's a he's he's a fellow who fights crime at night and during the days. What is he? He's a, a newspaper a, a newspaper magnet, a newspaper editor, uh, and he he wants to fight crime, right? Uh, and but he he unlike Batman, everybody feels that he's a villain, and he he wants to he wants everybody to think he's a villain so he could fight crime. This way, he can really get into the underworld. Right. And, right. So the only person that knows that he's not a villain is the DA. Mm-hmm. Oh no. So, um, and obviously Cato. It's like, yeah. Um, so, but uh, one of the things that I looked at uh, for the book, which I thought was incredibly interesting. So uh, I looked at the George Trendell archives and the William Dozer archives, and William Dozer, the producer, and the two of them fought tooth and nail over the Green Hornet time and time again in letters back and forth to each other uh, about how the show should be uh, portrayed. Uh, William Dozer said, no, you know what? Like, let's have some cool villains. Let's have some, um, uh, you know, over-the-top weapons. Sort of like Batman. Like Batman. Like, more like Batman. Uh, and Trendell kept saying, no, 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 it's a police procedural. Uh, you know, this show is sold on civics. This show is sold on good citizenship. Uh, this show is sold on detectives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they just never came to an agreement on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's really what and it came so, to. So the show, but it looked like Dozer was right, especially in, 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 in a crowded sort of area where Batman was supreme you know mm-hmm. what could the green Hornet do he couldn't be yeah. you know what could it have done to be successful i think yeah. most people know about the green hornet because it was bruce lee's yeah. um uh, you know role as kato 
uh, right. that was, I guess it was a breakout for Bruce Lee. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was really his first role. Um, the other thing that, that hurt the Green Hornet was uh, its time slot. Uh, it came on Friday night. Friday nights. I remember. I couldn't watch it. Right. <laughs> so you could, so, so you couldn't watch it. Uh, and uh, for others, you know, it was a, um, it was just a bad time slot. It was, it was, Friday night, you know, there's a million other things, and and it was meant for better looking than Adam West, but yeah. but and and maybe even like a more chiseled, you know, typical Hollywood lead star, but somehow Adam West with his paunch, with his delivery, <laughs> I mean, it he was really somehow able, you know, and and again, you know, he he was able to really hit it out of the park in some weird way. Part of yeah. it was part of it was his part of it was I think he his line readings, you know, he somehow was able to, to capture the inanity of what they were doing, you know, climbing up the side of the wall, you know, that's enough citizen, you know, Jerry Lewis would stick his head out and say, lady, lady, right. Right. Or Sammy Davis Jr. Would come pop out. Somehow Van Williams, you know, it was like you say, there was nothing. He was just too stolid. There was of course uh, uh, the crossover green Hornet Batman. There was the one episode. And you know what? And in that episode, they didn't even put a good villain. It was Colonel Gum, who was who who was trying to uh, 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 counterfeit valuable stamps. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like put him against the Riddler, the yeah. the Joker, Catwoman, do something. But <laughs> well, a well. very forgettable villain, a, a villain that nobody's ever seen before. Yes, yes. This was definitely the wrong way. In other words, uh, both Bruce Wayne and Britt Reed, Britt Reed were after the uh, um, the woman Pinky Pinkston in that episode. Look, the purpose of the crossover was to save the Green yeah. Hornet. Yeah. The purpose of it was was a way to save it. They figured if they bring Batman in, maybe people will see there's something significant. But unfortunately, and, and I think that's what a lot of these crossover programs try to do um if they if they ever do if they if they're successful in it um look we could go on for hours here tom um uh, and, and and i think that uh i think we've shown that you know, 66 67 was was crucial um and and do you think it really you know paved the way for um for what what do you what do you think it established well, it's the, that first season that everything you know, it, it established that, okay, every show from now on is going to be in color. Uh, everything in primetime was still color. Uh, I think the next season shows like Dark Shadows, uh, that, that switched to color on daytime, and, and soap operas and things like that slowly switched over. And, you know, really from that point, um, and, and my, I think my math is correct, it was uh, approximately every year forward, um, n- another nine percent of the population bought a color TV, um, and so that 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 in itself, I think, is is kind of interesting. That you know that really spurred more people to buy a color TV. Um, I think by 1972, uh, it flipped that more people had a a color TV than a black and white TV. 
Um, so, so that certainly. And, and, but, but you, you know, as we said before, there was people even in the seventies that were bemoaning the quality of the programming, yeah. and they would be talking about the golden age of television <laughs> of the fifties of Playhouse ninety um, and and all the, the programs. Even even programs that were not Playhouse 90, programs like The Untouchables and, and some of the other late 50s, early 60s, The Twilight Zone never obviously made it towards that. Um, Yitzhak, we've talked about Alfred the... Hitchcock Presents was... All, 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 right, so it seems like, you know, something was lost as much as you've celebrated it. I think, yeah. Tom, there's probably been aspects that have been lost of, of black and white you know i obviously love a lot of black and white tv shows i love a lot of uh, i i can't imagine well i could imagine the monsters going to color um but i the adams family i think would be completely lost in color i think dick van dyke would be completely lost in color um you know there's there's a lot of shows that if they ever made that switch over um something would be lost and 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 like and of course many people will say that that sitcom was the king of sitcoms it really in a way you know it maybe didn't have the character development of, of the mary tyler moore show that was later but the idea of a realistic program um that dealt with real issues but can do it in a comedic way um also um shifting between the two basic places the uh the room where they were writing the episodes and and Rob and Laura's house that really set the tone for a lot of uh, very important uh, sitcoms. But back to what I when I mentioned uh, Armis Brooks on radio did the same thing, but then when it moved to television, it, it really lost that. I'm saying Dick Van Dyke was successful in being able to, you know, they they could parse an episode and put half of it, you know, as you know, Buddy and and Sally and Rob writing some shtick. And they can then do the other half, you know, you know, Rob and Laura at home. And they, they were able to really, you know, make that work. Um, but it's interesting that Dick Van Dyke himself, has he ever done anything that matches or even comes close to the Dick Van Dyke show in your mind, Tom? No, no. Dick Van Dyke is, is absolutely the, the pinnacle of, of Dick Van Dyke. And I, I really like Dick Van Dyke as an actor. You know, he was in some really great stuff, but that certainly was the pinnacle. You know, they, they, they struck gold with that. It's sad because they tried to recycle him uh, in the late 60s or early 70s, a Dick Van Dyke show, another. He did a show with Hope Lang, I think. And it was set in Phoenix. Hmm. See, I know oh, stuff you no. don't know. Yeah. There was a Dick Van Dyke. Uh, it, it was in the early 70s. It was called The New oh. Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, okay. Yeah, The New Dick Van Dyke Show. And uh, what was the, uh, oh, Diagnosis Murder. So Diagnosis Murder, the, the new Dick Van Dyke show lasted a season and was canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but Diagnosis Murder had a had a had a had a, a history in syndication for sure, right? I think it yeah. was. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, that lasted a long time. Right, but 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 again, he's he's slumming there because he 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 know he knows he can't do any of the the physical. I mean, Dick Van Dyke is such a gifted physical comic. You know, as he got older, he wasn't able to do that stuff anymore. No. And well, uh, yeah. Yeah, Dick, yeah. The show, yeah, and, and like I said, it just, it, I'm, I'm glad that it ended when it ended. It would not be the same in color. And it, yeah, it went out on top. Right. Which is, which is, you talked about shows being canceled. 
and the Mary Tyler Moore show, Carol Burnett herself also decided to leave. I don't know if her, her ratings were, were, were down, but I think shows that leave on top. Yeah, Seinfeld, uh, Jerry Seinfeld almost Seinfeld. lost it when, when uh, Larry King said, oh, when your show got canceled, he's like, is that what you think happened? You think <laughs> I got canceled? What? He, he really got upset. Right. And, and, like, and, and I, especially for, for people like yourself, Tom, who want to see an ending, right? They, mm-hmm. right? they don't, right? you know, the fugitive, which was canceled, but they were able to do an, they, they were able before the last program to finally catch the one-armed man, right? Yeah. So, yeah. They, so were, they were given some, some time to, uh, to finally uh, catch up. Yeah, but it is, it, it's sad that, uh, you know, people, again, like you say, Dick Van Dyke had, uh, he replaced, I think, um, uh, I think he replaced Harvey Corman uh, on w- the last season of the Carol Burnett show. Oh yeah, and, that's right. And uh, and they in, in the mid season, it's forgettable. And the, right, in, in, in mid season, she, she they couldn't work together anymore. And it's not because he and Carol didn't get along. People could not. He for some reason he could not do anything else in the same way. Um, and, and you're right. He made even why they they had to have that uh, that uh, Mary Richards was not divorced. They originally wanted her to be divorced, and they were afraid that people would think that she was divorced from Dick Van Dyke. So they had to make it clear that it was <laughs> yeah. a broken engagement because they didn't want they didn't want the the viewers to think that 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 uh, that Rob and Laura got divorced. You know, well, I think one of the best episodes in the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's true. Most of though, Yitzchak, I think it was more the fact that the executives were not ready in 1970 or 69 or 70 or seven when that season came out. 70, I think it was. They weren't ready to have a star who was divorced. It was sort of like there was still a stigma attached to it. But one of the one of the best Mary Tyler Moore episodes was when Jerry Van Dyke um, came on the show as a uh, failed um, stand-up comedian that has quite a little bit of a romantic uh, chemistry between her and, um, and, 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 <laughs> and there's even a crying scene that's very similar to the way uh, Mary Tyler Moore would cry as Laura. Um, it's interesting. I saw a documentary. You might, I, I really recommend it. It's about the life of Rose Marie. Have you ever seen it? Yes, yeah, I thought it, it aired on uh, Me TV the one time. It was excellent. Yeah, very. Again, I I knew who Rosemary was because I grew up watching the Van Dyke Show, but I had no idea of the richness of of her career of Baby Rosemary and and, and yeah. everything that she did. Um, and Up until the, and then working till the end too. So and 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 that that documentary has you know her husband who was a uh, trumpet player, I think. Um, mm-hmm. A band leader, trumpet player. Um, after he died, she always wore that black um, ribbon in her in her hair consistently as a sign of Avelis. Even on Hollywood Squares, she would always wear that black ribbon uh, as for her husband. But that documentary brought out that she thought she was going to be the main female character in that show. Uh, she thought it was just an adjunct, Mary Tyler Moore. I think Mary Tyler Moore was in the show um, Peter Gunn. I think she was the secretary, the legs of the secretary. I think so. Um, yes. they, right? You never saw her face, but um, and and so she was not really a major star at all. And that show really the theory that, sh- that she appeared in one Three Stooges short 
with Joe Besser, they, they, they talked about it in the uh, Three Stooges magazine that there's one scene they're, they're, they're debating whether or not it was her uh, as one of the extras. Who, who Mary Tyler Moore? <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore, that that was her, her first uh, screen role. Was, was really? A, was, a, was a Joe Besser Three Stooges short. Well, that's and... not a very good uh, uh, intro then. <laughs> But the point I, I, of, I like Joe Besser. I don't know. I, I know everybody. <laughs> the point. The point being, though, is that again, it 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 it, it turned her into a star. Yes. I mean, the, the Dick Van Dyke Show. I mean, her comedic chops were tremendous in that in that role. And dramatic. Um, it, it was it was authentic. It was it was well, it was the perfect blend. My man, yeah, really great stuff. One of the things that I think she learned from Dick Van Dyke was you know to to be gracious because obviously the Mary Tyler Moore show gave everybody a star turn not always the same thing with Dick Van Dyke I mean there was you know you know you didn't see you know Richard DeCon never got much of a program I think maybe there's one show where where he's featured where Alan wants to fire him um yeah but uh you know I think it's uh generally rich you know Richard yeah Richard DeCon um uh, also, really, uh, a guy um, uh, you know who made it, uh, you know, as a character actor. Um, he's actually in, in one of Hitchcock's films. I think he's in Marnie. But uh, you know, he's also in them. <laughs> he's also in them. You know, I want to talk about one last program, Tom. Um, we yeah. talked. About, you talked about Armis Brooks, um, and you know, obviously, Armis Brooks has at its at its heart an extremely talented actress. I mean, who who could really act the pants off Lucille Ball? That's mm-hmm. Eve Ar- that's Eve Arden. Eve Arden is 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 an incredible actress. She, you know, even though Lucy was in more, might have been in more films. Eve Arden really, you know, she was a a a tough, tough talking, you know, attractive, real Hollywood broad. Um, and um, for some reason, because she was good friends with Lucy, and Desi Lu Productions created a i said bewitched even bewitched was not the same in color it was just it was a classic sitcom it looked it almost looked like uh you know leave it to beaver you know that type and then ah. when it got to color it got two 1960s if that makes sense right I, I think part of it you have to say that part of it was I think, although Dick York was still there, sixty six, sixty seven, mm-hmm. but when um, Dick Sargent uh, yeah. took over the role, I think the Bewitched really took a tremendous nose. Down. Oh yeah, I mean the, the other Darren. I mean this was one of the weirdest things that you know a, a successful <laughs> sitcom ever did was basically change a major character, you know, and, and nobody says anything, you know. They should have at least have Andorra turn him into something. Yeah, They could have had, like, you know, Dick York come in at least for one program and have Andorra curse him and turn him into somebody else or something like that. But, um, you know. Yeah, it just, it just, yeah certainly color, I mean, it, it, it's, it's something that... I think it emphasizes, if you, if, you, if you don't mind, I think it emphasizes, Tom, the the fantastic and the gimmick whereas black and white focuses on the face it focuses on a lot on shades of color we know that you know orson wells told bogdanovich that he sh- should definitely film the last picture show in black and white 
um, mm. Paper Moon and Black and White. There is something about mood setting, and you talked about it when you talked to me about the film noir um, uh, films that you taught in your in your yep. seminar in college. There is something about um, uh, black and white, especially on a small screen, Tom. That you know, not the fifty-five inch, you know, or sixty <laughs> inches or a full scale that we have today. That somehow it was almost like this is weird. Like it's in color, but it's only like fourteen inches. Yeah. A, bla- a black and white episode could 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 it fit about that? And part yeah, and, of it, and that's right. night and day. Right, a hundred percent different. Part of it was because, and I, again, this is my bread and butter a little bit, Rod Serling. Uh, uh, one of the reasons was that Serling did not have yeah. complete creative control over Night Gallery. Night Gallery, although there were some episodes that he wrote, very he did not direct or write. Uh, he didn't direct at all, but he didn't write the same amount of uh, proportion of episodes that he did there. Basically, what NBC wanted was an hour program which again remember when night when twilight zone was an hour that was the season that got canceled yeah right part of what made twilight- anytime those shows the hour ones come on i think oh, i'm not gonna watch this one <laughs> right right, right. Uh, it was definitely someone like you and yitzchuk who were you know millennials sort of i guess uh or generation x whatever you want to call yourself it's hard for you guys to watch a, a program that lasts an hour right you know and I- I can watch. I can watch a program that's an hour, but Twilight Zone an hour just never did no, it. For me. No, no, because part of it is you know it, it's supposed to be boom a sock a sock to the solar plexus, right? Yeah, that's the whole point. No, right? It, it, it can't really survive if it's you know if it's drawn out to an hour. It's got to you know it's 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 a little morality play, a vignette of morality play. And part of the problem with Night Gallery was they weren't sure what to do with it. Um, no. And, 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 you know, and, and the shtick, the framing device was, was also weird. You know, here's, you know, Rod Serling walking in this spooky sort of museum. And then, you know, there would be some painting that would somehow be the reflection of what the story was. Um, it, it, it clearly, it suffered a lot. Color should stay color and black and white should stay black and white. <laughs> and, you know, the colorization of films uh, that was, I guess, Ted Turner started doing it, yeah. right? Yeah, Ted Turner, yeah, started it, and and like we we did talk about, you know, kind of, and I don't know if the story is true, but we'll say it's true. Uh, you know, one of one of uh, Orson Welles' dying uh, wishes or dying things were, you know, tell Ted, Ted Turner to keep his crayons off my films, right, uh, right. So, which 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 indicates to you that um, there is something about artistic. Um, uh, I guess, uh, if not significance, but at least don't violate what the artist has done. And um, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, well, okay, well, Ted Turner owns the film. He could colorize it, you know, but if I own a painting, does that give me right to do something different to it? Well, again, this really gets into the nature of art. And, yeah. you know, we, we we talked about this, that even though art was always developed, I mean, Da Vinci and Michelangelo, they, they worked for money, right? And, yeah. and there were patrons, Rembrandt, they painted for, uh, for other people, but yet we somehow, or even uh, composers who composed for the sake of uh, some duchess or to get paid, like once something is, is recognized as being so beautiful and significant, 
it really detaches itself from those type of you know those type of business like considerations yeah. you 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 would and especially since even the person that owns the painting has a what we believe is a moral artistic responsibility to preserve it when it's something of such great beauty and such significance. Um, and even if it's not beautiful, it's at least, as I mentioned to you yesterday, um, a way to look into the past and see what the world was like. I mean, if we decided, because there's not enough inclusivity in Bewitched, that we were going to now you know, insert people of different ethnicities, right? It wouldn't be just, it, it, it wouldn't be just Greg Morris showing up on the Dick Van Dyke show, right? And it got the biggest laugh, I think, in the history of the show, right? But, but you know, that's the type of tinkering that, that we can't allow. When I was looking some things up on this uh, today, actually, and there was an episode of In Living Color, uh, you know, the, the sketch comedy show in the early 90s, uh, where uh, was Jim Carrey played Ted Turner on the skit. And uh, they said, oh, you know, we're going to colorize Casablanca. But they <laughs> included uh, Billy D. Williams as the, <laughs> as the main character. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to do it a different way. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, this is kind of bringing it full circle to what what we talked about in what what are we going to do with film uh Yitzhak, but, i know you took i know you feel strongly about this it's like why don't you chime in uh it's, you know they're talking about making a a black superman uh all the all these different characters and and yet you know if if it was an actual authentic black story instead of just making a white character black that would be really celebrating that culture, you know. I mean, well, you know, you, well, you know, I, I heard you, one of your kids saying Disney films. One of Disney, what he was, in the, one of the films he was most proud of is a film that I saw because it was re-released in the theaters in about 1968 or 69, "Song of the South." Right, which is we, bad, you know. But uh, Son of Ghoul has some copies. If you if if you want a bootleg at at, at Mon- come to Monster Bash and okay. get a bootleg copy of it. But we but but this is one of the things. You know, colorization is a way to make these old films more appealing, and 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 that's the reason why whether it's a Wonderful Life or some of the other classics, the idea was that children. And young adults who weren't see weren't used to seeing films in black and white will reject these films, won't watch them, and in this way we're gonna. This is like a candy that we can at least bring people back to see the film. That's why Turner and his minions thought they were doing these films a favor, but people like Scorsese and Spielberg and others stood in the breach and said we won't allow it because this is detracting from the original ideal of what the artist had. So, no, so when, when Turner colorized the movies, they, it looked like crayons. It looked, it looked silly. Now the colorization process has advanced so much. You know, I know uh, Harryhausen gave permission to colorize his black and white movies that were, were done for Columbia because he wanted to make them in color. He just didn't have the money to do it. And the, the the quality of the technology has improved quite a lot. I still would rather watch it in black and white. 
And I don't know if if you feel the same way. Uh, the, did you ever see the Turner colorized King Kong? Yeah, I hate it. It's all really. It's I see. I, I I'm the exact opposite. I think. I mean, I'd much rather watch it in black and white, obviously, but I think it's kind of interesting. It, it's it's kind of sepia toned, uh, and and it looks like if they colorized it that day, if they colorized it in 1933, what it would look like. Um, if they yeah, colorized it now, second color, then yeah, you're right. It it would be a little too crisp mm -hmm. like I hear the what you're saying. plane out from outer space it it just looks a little too nice i don't i don't know i don't know right, how to describe right. it and then, uh, a, a film that uh and i had never heard of it uh until i i saw it for sale at monster bash and i started doing a little bit of research on it today um it was the italian version of godzilla uh and uh, it came out in 77. It was a recut of the original Godzilla, and it was in something called uh, Spectorama 70, which was just these cheap gels over the film. And they added a couple more scenes, and there was some weird, you know, kind of synth music and things like that. But it's almost called, like, the psychedelic uh, Godzilla. And this is, like, where the opposite end of the spectrum where it's done so poorly you have to watch it <laughs> <laughs> it's the train wreck that you have to you have to, yeah have oh, to it absolutely is. If, if it's true that the integrity of the artist means something and if it's true that a work of art is bigger than the time it was made because it represents a way to go back a way to reflect a way to see it's a time machine and it tells us so much more than a book or a speech or a lecture then Films that even have objectionable imagery, films that have African-American actors portrayed in a way that is undignified, that is Stefan Fetchett-like, or Jewish characters played over the top with accents and, 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 and ridiculous, what we call stereotypical tropes, they should be left alone. And this at least that's what I think. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's a yeah. that's how we preserve history. That's how we know. Well, we can't whitewash history. We can't forget the past. You know? but, but but I really see the same way you had that. What it what was it in the Muppets um, that was on Disney Plus that they had a disclaimer, right? About how you know, even if they were smoking or anything else, yeah. like or, or even if there was some sort of German character, like like the the, the ultra. Um, a sensitivity to any sort of ethnic slur or any sort of thing that's that's not that's not politically correct. I'm not saying that we should produce politically incorrect films, but we should have a history of political incorrectness and know what it was. And and it, you, and, and let me say it even better. Well, I, I, I mean, a, there there is there is a place for the political incorrectness though because it brings out sometimes it, the satire is there. You know, blazing saddles. It's 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 a it's a movie that rejects racism, shows how ridiculous racism is, but you could not get away with making that movie today. That's right. That's right. The old lady would not be able to say the N word to a black <laughs> man today. And yet, you know, it, 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 one could argue, and I, I think it's true, that it might be the most successful thing that Mel Brooks ever did, including Get Smart. And, 
and including Young Frankenstein. Oh, it's Mel Brooks' birthday today? Yeah, he's 96 years old. Tonight. Wow. Ah. Look, Mel Brooks is, is definitely needs to be, but I, I think you'll agree with me. As great as the, the producers is, is wonderful to watch. Um, it's funny. And obviously it has an afterlife later. Um, the 12 chairs. Okay. Um, get smart. Again, we, we could talk about get smart going into color too. Um, not Tom, but well, uh, it's smart only had the, uh, uh, the black and white pilot episode. Television shows that are, we're going to wince in pain and talk about, again, there's, there's even programs where you're going to, which I'm sure people at the forefront of the me too movement look back at and say, look how they were, you know, um, objectifying women. Look at the way you know a, a woman would come onto a game show, and Gary Moore would say, "Wow, you're really pretty." You're, you're right, right. That was normal. Dawson making out with them, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say before. I think I wish Dawson would have retired after Hogan's Heroes. You know, his run mm-hmm. on his run on Family Feud was was quite something. But you're right. The fact that and it was accepted that everybody was going to get a kiss. From Richard Dawson, right? Um, was it a kid? I mean, he, he, he was mauling them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. The, the point, though, is, is that we shouldn't necessarily have, you know, some political correct person or woke person or anybody lecture us and say, we have here some old episodes of Family Feud. We know that what Richard Dawson's behavior is, is uncouth, untoward, and we do not condone it in any way, but it is a remnant of that time. Do we need those type of Surgeon General statements on films and old television shows? What do you think? I don't think so. No, I think yeah. that's, that's taking it too, too far. I mean, way in the United States. And looking at these films allows us to see that. It allows us, but even to enjoy those films, um, uh, it, to enjoy those films and laugh and cry at the same time at those Jewish stereotypes, you know, even at some of the Stefan Fetchett stuff. Um, it, it, again, but I, what I see coming is the banning of those programs um, and, and the streaming services. Let me explain why I think they're going to be banned. Once only certain programs are available in streaming services, and you have to be like you, Tom, a, a researcher extraordinaire to find them, they pretty much don't exist. Yeah, when you when you no longer have it on a physical media, or, it becomes and, much and, easier to look at it and say, okay, we are going to eliminate this episode we're going to eliminate this we are going to take this out of the the show um you know again when you when you when you do step away from from kind of a physical media uh which you know for the last 35 40 years we have the luxury of i mean even even you know uh, more recent shows that you know they they couldn't show the homer simpson going up and down the the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, you know, because it, it was it was too painful, and they had to, or a lot of I think a lot of Spider-Man movies they took out any images of the of the Twin Towers, you know, and yep. like how how is that? What what what? I understand maybe right away when it happened, there was they, there needed to be some time, but like for, yeah, Spider-Man, for the, the original 
trailer had the Twin Towers, and, and I, I understand, okay, yeah, maybe we shouldn't use this in the trailer anymore, but... It, it, not in 2001, but maybe now in 2022, it's, you know, we... we... We need to remember we can't we can't totally forget that the twin towers existed, right? You know, it's uh... speaking about that era. We know that before the twin towers were bombed, um, I don't remember the names of the films, but there was a number of films. I think Delta Force and others, where even in even in um, Back to the Future, where the criminals are the Arabs, the Libyans, the Arabs, right? The Muslims, the terrorists. The, those things aren't happening today either. Since right, and and again, so the, the scissors could come out on those those as well. The Nazis will always be the Nazis, right? Yeah. The Nazis <laughs> will always be able to hate the Nazis. The but, uh, what was the what was the, uh, the the remake of Red Dawn? I think originally it was supposed to be the Chinese, maybe, and then it then they were like, oh no, it's the North Koreans, um, and then uh, the new Top Gun movie. Uh, they never mentioned what country they were going into. It was just this ethnically, uh, 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 geographically vague country. A part of it, of course, Tom, is they want to make money in those countries by yes. selling the films there. And, and, and part of it is being politically correct. And it's what, what I see, again, I don't want to be a, a, a Cassandra doomsayer, but what I see happening is the films that do have, and, and I'm not saying that these aren't objectionable, but even I, I would tell you, even one of the greatest films of the 1960s, which is The Apartment. Oh. I don't know if you've seen that film with Billy Wilder. I've recommended it. The sure. the, the Jewish doctor was in that film. Uh, it was played by Jack Crusher, who had a, an Academy Award nomination, <laughs> has all the typical Jewish stereotypical statements, the way he says it, you know, um, and of course, he has the famous line, be a mensch, uh, which, 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 no, which really becomes a, a motif of the film. It's, there's something about seeing those laughable, you know, in some way objectionable figures and recognizing that's, that's where we were and, and, right. where, and where we are now is a different place. Yeah, and I, yeah, certainly, you know, film and TV definitely shows that. And... Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the more people, even though there's a plethora of, of stations, of, of streaming services, I think, I think that, you know, it's getting harder for the average person to get a hold of the type of programs that you highlighted in your book. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, there, and, and obviously less and less are on television as well, you know, uh, um, just... Just a, just a sign of, you know, kind of uh, not progression, but just taste, you right. know, uh, whereas uh, Nick at Night or whatever, when um, you know, I was growing up, you know, showed stuff from the 50s and 60s. Uh, now it's 90s and 2000s. Right. So that stuff, unfortunately, is sort of like heading into an oblivion right. that, uh, that we're going to have a hard time recovering. And, and you can catch it on various streaming services. Um, it's to me, it's a very painful show to watch. I don't know if you ever, if you, you I, I guess you haven't seen too many episodes of it. Have no, you? I've not. Yes, it was a, um, <laughs> and you know, and Richard Decon um, took the place of 
of, 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 of a, a great character actor. You know, they, again, they replaced the, uh, yeah, but it, again, it's, it's sort of, uh, it was in color, all the episodes. And um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. The mother's, I think. In, the mother's in law. Oh, is that what it's called? The mother's in law. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, unfortunately, that's another, you know, example of, of, of having, you know, you have Eve Arden, you know, she's too old. You don't want to just, you know, Kay Ballard is, um, is in it as well. Who else do you have over there, Yitzhak, who was in it? Uh, Eve Hubbard, Kay Buell, Herbert Rudley, Herb Hubbard, Jerry Fogel, uh, Deborah, Deborah Wally, a big cast. Richard right. Deacon, like you said. Right. But two seasons, 56 episodes. Wow. <laughs> 30 episodes a season. Right. There was a, there was, it came out in 67, actually. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it, it really is, a, it, again, it's, it's sort of an, Roger Buell, who died, um, <laughs> you know, um, I think, who was it? Um, who was the actor who played Roger Buell? One second for a second. This is um, Roger Carmel. What's his name? Roger Carmel. Right. Yeah. So he died after the first season and they replaced him with Richard DeCon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, so th- this was really an interesting, you know, it, they, they tried to sort of like capture a little bit of, of the I Love Lucy dynamic of, you know, the, you know, and, and it's it sort of, you know, it sort of has, you know, similarities to, to everyone loves Rain. Um, Eve Arden doing a lot of physical comedy, her and Kay Bauer dressing up like Lucy and Ethel and getting involved in all these different types of things. It really, I think, is a, a, an example, again, of, you know, you, you have a, a, a star, and you just television just can't do it for them. Um, you don't know what to do with them. So you know, it's a uh, you know Jerry. I was just listening on the on a, on a podcast recently. You know Jerry Stiller, you know had a show um, as well. I think uh, uh, called Joe and Sons in seventy two or something. That um, was canceled after six episodes. And and boy, did he have a great afterlife, didn't he? I'm saying Seinfeld, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but Jerry Stiller, I'm saying, you know, he I, I, he was able to be so over the top and so perfect. Um, I don't know if Ann Miro, his wife, uh, fared as well, but Jerry Stiller, um, again, a sample of, of, you know, of people who were able to salvage something, you know, in this this great business of Quantum Leap paid the time tunnel a lot of money it's exactly the same show yeah. almost right yeah. the only difference is was the, okay let, let's let's you know scott bacula was able to you know the shtick of it was he becomes a character in you know in that you know he he takes on the the he's either yeah, a woman or a black guy yeah. or or someone in that but but the idea you know it was definitely a time tunnel ripoff in a certain way <laughs> um yeah well tom you know this has been a time tunnel for me i've definitely been able i feel like i don't know who were the two actors there I, it was sort of like a it was like a swirling a swirling wheel that you would run into and somehow <laughs> escape into some other era and you've, you've allowed yitzhak and i uh to, uh-huh. esca- to escape into a lot of different eras um i wish you a lot of luck in your teaching and uh your, well, pa- your passion is 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 palpable um, and I appreciate you staying up late with us. Um, and, Anytime. I'd love to do it again. Okay. 
All right, that's about it, my friends. Watch your step on the way out. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 